your self-destruction doesn't hurt them Your chaos won't convert them They're so happy to rebuild it Hello, uh, is this, yeah, it's live, that's always important to know. Uh, so, hi, uh, this is Lance with KRUI, I'm the operations director, that makes me sound important, I'm not. Uh, and we're starting part two, uh, Electric Boogaloo of the Chapo, uh, interview, this time we're gonna have Chris Wade alone. Thank you, I'm glad to be here. Yeah, and we also bring in local community organizer and frequent bar hopper, Andrew, not Andrew, that's my bad, Austin <laughs> Wu. You think my name's Andrew because of uh, Andrew Yang, don't you? <laughs> I had to deal with a lot of Yang people yesterday. Um, <laughs> which uh, does bring in, I want a quick tie-in uh, with that song. I played uh, Rock and Roll Lifestyle by Cake. Fantastic album, fantastic song, fantastic band. And in particular, I want to try to talk a bit about the culture of Chapo and the Dirtbag Left. Um, we, are, we are certainly feeling the most like rock stars that any of us had enter any dream of ever uh, uh, approaching in our lives right now. When you write the uh, tell-all Chapo biography, are you going to start in media res as well? <laughs> yes, we're flying down I-85 yeah. on our way to Iowa City two nights before the election. Uh, no, I, uh, my, biggest, <laughs> my biggest rock star nerdery right now is that I, um, I brought a tiny thing of Maker's Mark with me to, be, to have in the hotel at the very end of the, the night because usually I'm pretty wired after one of these shows and might want it a little like nip just to go to bed. And of course, it uh, spilled all over the inside of my backpack. So I walked in here feeling like I stank like bourbon. And I was like, God, I hope these <laughs> people don't think I'm some kind of degenerate wino or something. Mm. Uh, yeah, um, so I did make a reference uh, to the media res, uh, Mr. Wade. One of your uh, big things that you do, besides being the producer of Chapo, is that you're also the host and producer of And Introducing, a great media podcast about musicians' biographies, and one episode about labor history. <laughs> well, hopefully we'll do that again some other time. Uh, David Turner, who's a great um, music writer, uh, writes a lot about the industry as work and labor. Uh, he's, a, he's a great guest, and we have to have him back on sometime. But yes, And Introducing, a podcast about words about oh, music. music. Uh, co-hosted, of course, by Molly Mary O'Brien. Yes. Uh, and yeah, so let's kind of get deep into it. So when did you get affiliated with the uh, Chapo podcast? Uh, I am a day one for Chapo. I followed all those guys on Twitter before they started the show. And True the fan. first day that they put out the show, I was like, oh, these guys are funny online. I'll listen to this and was hooked pretty much immediately. Um, within the first three episodes, I DM'd one of them because I worked in media at the time. I worked, uh, you know, I, I was a web video guy for sites like Slate and New York Magazine and later uh, a disastrous run at Mike, M-I-C, the uh, now defunct or maybe back from the dead uh, millennial media site. Uh, so I did podcasts and I did video and I loved what they did and they clearly needed somebody who knew how to do audio from their first <laughs> episode. So, you know, I DM'd and was like, hey, if you ever need anybody. Uh, I'm around and they're like, Hey, that's great. Uh, if you want to support us, here's our Patreon. Uh, <laughs> fast forward, I got laid off from Mike, uh, and spent about a year in fairly disastrous unemployment, uh, trying to figure out how to move from video to audio work. Uh, and at the height of my depression, thinking that I would never have a job again, I ran into those guys at one of their live shows, ran into the Chapo guys at one of their live shows and was like, Oh, Hey, I'm that guy who periodically DMs you saying, Hey, do you need any more producers? And Matt Chrisman leaned in and said, that's interesting because our old producer is leaving like yesterday. Mm. And so I just went in and guest produced an episode and then three years later, I'm still with them. All right. Uh, did you have your own GeoCities page then? 
Uh, no, I didn't. I didn't have a GeoCities. I did have a Live Journal mm. back in the day. I think the closest I got, because I am a little bit younger, uh, was a Google Journal. Do you remember those? No, I was a uh, I was a blogger. Oh, um, yeah, I think that's what it was called. Yeah, it was, was it like legit Google. blogger. Yeah, yeah, I, I had to I had to make one for a class, but sometimes I kept it up. Mm. I don't know. I I came in in like the tail end of GeoCities when I'd like find people's GeoCities page, but it would just say. GeoCities yeah. is gone. <laughs> oh, no, I knew that. I think we were both a little too old for, like, the big Tumblr boom. But, See, like, I kept on no. it. I uh, like Tumblr. The porn ban was a real shame. That was real. It's, it's absolutely amazing that uh, Yahoo's ability to uh, invest a billion dollars in one of the hottest uh, social media platforms and then just completely destroy it, just run the car straight into yeah, a wall. How much did Tumblr sell for recently? $300 million? Yes. yes. Down from $1 billion. <laughs> Stonks. 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 Mine goes down, as they say. Uh, so about Patreon, um, now obviously a lot of people use the uh, snide comment that is completely unsupported by any sort of leftist literature that how can you be uh, any sort of leftist if you are making this much money on Patreon? Um, but it there is a level uh, of some criticism that you mostly find on the Dubious equality. Uh, it's dubious in that sometimes it's good. A lot of times it's bad. The Chapo subreddit <laughs> of uh, what do you think that there's an inherent need for a left adjacent podcast uh, to be actively supporting as many organizations as possible? Like a moral obligation? I mean, I think that you just need to. I look. We're you're you're exchanging money for a service that we provide, and I think at the very basic level. The simple transaction between a single Chapo listener and the show itself is pretty great in that you get four extra, four to five extra shows a month mm-hmm. for $5. That's a buck 25 plus that supports all the regu- regular shows. That is the, the it relationship that we're building. Mm-hmm. Collectively, yes, that adds up to us. I think at that point, you just have to say that you are supporting a thing that you enjoy and you hope that the... Um, the hosts of it, you know, are are generous with their money. I mean, I go out of my way to just whenever I see something new that somebody in the uh, around me has on Patreon, I just subscribe to it mm. anyway. Uh, I don't listen to most of the podcasts on Patreon that I subscribe to, but I want to help the people keep making keep making them. I mean, and then the other thing is, is that like, I don't know, people got mad that we charged for our uh, documentary that we made, um, you know, two ninety nine to 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 buy it. Uh, you know, I saw a few takes that were like, you know, how dare they charge any amount of money for anything. But like, I don't know, man, that just goes to pay our editor and our shooter and Moses from Deer Hunter who did the score and every, every dollar that we made over what we just put into to fly five people to Iowa to stay there for a week, uh, to rent a car, to, to buy new gear to go there. Every cent over than that, over that uh, goes right back into stuff that I bought gear that I bought for this trip back out here to continue making more stuff. So I, in the end, I don't know. I, I try to be very conscientious mm-hmm. with, with, with this kind of thing, but you know, you, you like the podcast, you should pay for it. Even if you steal it, which a lot of people do. Uh, I, I don't mind if you want to black wolf feed the entire, which is what people call the pirate site that people use to, to pull episodes down. KRUI does not officially condone or uh, yeah. support piracy. Um, that's fine. I honestly get it. Pledge it a dollar a month. You know, throw in, throw in something. I, I 
spend a lot of time working on this show <laughs> and I hope to make it good for everybody. Uh, that's a decent transition to, uh, of course, good vibes in Iowa city. You recently released a, uh, documentary about the Iowa state fair and the politicians there also pigs and butter. <laughs> uh, woo, you watched it, right? Did you have any comments about it? The, the documentary? Yeah. Is it, where does the documentary exist in relation to the podcast episode on the fair? Cause I didn't, I didn't watch the documentary. I only listened to the episode from the state fair. Um, the podcast episode is fairly, a fairly straightforward podcast where we just talk about our thing. The, the documentary we tried to lean in to be a more kind of ambient mm -hmm. thing. It, it's, it's really more of a mood piece. And half of that is that this is our first attempt at making something like this. And we really didn't go in with any plan. We, me and uh, Molly uh, went out with cameras and just shot as much as possible. And, uh, we had a wonderful ed editor, Chris Miller, who kind of worked with us to develop the tone of the piece. Um, and I think that the documentary is much more about tone than just conveying inf information, which I think is, I'm very proud of, because it is different from just like, you know, turning a camera on while three guys record a podcast. Um, and I think it captures kind of the overbearing sensory quality of being at the Iowa State Fair. It's incredibly hot. There are tons of people there. You're being shuffled in and out of these weird spaces as like politicians from notoriety, from a very notoriety from Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren to Bill de Blasio and John DeLay. I guess Bill de Blasio has high notoriety, but there were like six people standing around listening uh, to him speak. Yeah. You get very up close to these people in the middle of these like intense sensory experiences there. And that's the kind of thing that we tried to convey in, in the doc is um, the kind of absurd... Uh, um, almost psychedelic quality of, of being at the state fair and how absurd it is that this is a cornerstone to how we as Americans pick the president is like looking at prize hogs and then wandering over and hollering at John Delaney for, uh, for tell him, to tell him to show his hog. I yeah, guess. exactly. So that's, that's what the doc is. Right. Good vibes at the Iowa state fair. Uh, iowagoodvibes.com, you can find that doc. Is the Vimo link back up? I remember that. Yeah, it, it went down for a few right. bit. <laughs> um, it went down for a few minutes for a, uh, for a day or so because I, I got an email from Vimeo saying that I violated their terms of service with no other information about that. So I was kind of freaked out that something in the documentary did something wrong, but eventually I got in touch with them. They were like, a suspicious number of people were, were purchasing this. So we held your, took it offline for fraud protection or something. I don't know. It's back online. What a convoluted money laundering scheme, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it w that would be a, a preposterous way to actually do fraud. We're going to make a short documentary about the Iowa State Fair and then funnel uh, uh, illicit money through a Vimeo cutout uh, at $2.99 a time. Mm, diabolical. Yeah, some might say that it says a lot about our society. <laughs> it does. That, that's an interesting topic too, right? Like Chapo, in greater pieces, you have been portrayed as something of a left cornerstone. And admittedly, there's a lot of connection. Uh, Mr. Chrisman, of course, was on the Antifada's History as a Weapon series. Uh, there's a lot of overlap between you and uh, Sam Cedar's I don't know, coalition, I guess? I mean, audiences. Yeah, right? So there is an element that you do see of people talking about the dastardly Chapo boys and their dirtbag ways. So that is in some ways similar to the stuff that you saw about how Joker would cause massive amounts of violence. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, which I suppose means that you have accidentally caused us to live in something of a podcasting society. Uh, do you think that there's any sort of like relation between this sort of increased fear of even mildly revolutionary programs 
Um, I, I guess, I mean, I have to say, as I described earlier, I came to the show first as a fan and then as a part of it. And I can't say that listening to Chapo first in 2016 didn't open a third eye of a kind for me. Um, mostly confirming that there were people out there who thought the same as me about politics and that it, I wasn't insane to think these ways about things. And, and just from that confirmation that you are not alone, that there are, that there is an, an audience for the show, which also means that you have people around you who, who think similarly was extremely powerful. And I mean, I honestly, if I, I want to be truly about it, I would say that it goes, you know, in increasingly niche. I think that they were, were turned on by the Bernie Sanders campaign to be thinking that, you know, there is things about him. There is a, uh, a, an audience or a world out there of people who think like this. And I mean, they never thought that they, as Matt says, he started the show because he wanted a few more Twitter followers. <laughs> uh, they never thought that they would resonate so much, but they clearly did. There was no one out there who was doing what they were doing with the ideology that they had, which is why, in addition to just being funny and entertaining, they went from zero to a hundred thousand listeners in seven months. Mm. Um, and so I can't say that, no, we're not influential. No, we don't, you know, we're just a tiny little niche. There, there's clearly something here that resonates with a lot of people uh, and I think the thing that actually makes people angry about it is the thing that I think is so great about both Chapo and podcasts in general is that they are free and anyone can do it. it. I mean, not free. It takes about, I would say, if you really want a good amateur setup, about $500. But then after that, you can exist on the same platform with the New York Times and the Washington Post and anybody who's producing that. It's all in the same store. It's all open. It's completely DIY. It can be completely DIY. And your audience is theoretically anyone in the, in the world with an internet connection. And I think that that is truly like powerful about the medium of podcasting. And one of the things that makes people so angry about Chapo is that it's just us. In the end of the day, it's me and the five hosts in our living room with a, a $300 Zoom recorder and a few $99 mics. And there's nobody to complain about to us. We, you can't fire us. We are, exist on our own and we will keep doing this as long as there are enough people listening to keep the lights on. And I honestly think that that thing is why people get so bent into shape about, Oh, are we accountable? Like who, you know, who are these people answering to? Or, and even our own fans being like, Oh, what are they, what are they doing with all the, the money and stuff like that? Um, I don't know. I love it. DIY or die baby. So I wonder, would you then, would you argue that maybe part of the reason some people on um, maybe lip like, the liberal center, center left in the United mm -hmm. States, unquote. Maybe like I'm thinking like I hate to, I hate to use this phrase, but like lanyard or donut Twitter. Yeah, yeah. That that they get so upset or so aggravated by Chapo because they've somehow oh, the podcast has somehow been able to evade the gatekeeping that exists in other avenues of uh, American politics. Uh, there's there's an article I read in Jacobin or like December 2016 that I thought was absolutely fascinating when it just they said very like plainly. The, the current political parties in the United States, Democrats and Republicans, are not like a real party. Uh, you know, you don't, there's no real membership structure. There's, mm -hmm. no elite, there's no election to a leader. So my family's originally from Canada. So like in Canada, if you want to become like, there is a conservative party that you can sign up and you say, you know, like, 
you're a member of the conservative party and you vote to vote on a leader, or you can do that for the new Democrats with liberals, but there's no, nothing like that in the United States. So there's, there's all these layers of patronage and gatekeeping that exists. Yeah. The actual party itself is actually, mm-hmm. is fairly tiny and, and, and comprised of this professional core. And it, 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 so it kind of makes people psychotic both ways because a, the, the actual like base of the party, the professional members of this party are this tiny elite core who are like constrained by both their professional desires and requirements and then the ideology that that brings in. And then for the mass party, you don't do anything to be a Democrat. You just like wake up one day and like look around and figure out what your favorite shows on TV are and say, oh, I'm a Democrat. And then people absorb that as like an identity, you know, like I'm a Southerner or, or, you know, something like that. And because it doesn't, as Matt was saying in the last episode, political participation for most people is going to a room and signing, signing a paper once every two years. And all the rest of the time, you just have this ambient knowledge about you of being a Democrat or a liberal without having to really do anything. And I mean, I'm guilty of this too. I mean, I try to think that I do more stuff now. I mean, when I'm flattering myself, I, I consider my full-time career to be creating leftist propaganda, which I do think is like <laughs> yeah, <that's> inherently <laughs> political. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I do think that that causes people to to kind of have a, a dual uh, psychosis about what it means to have to quote have politics mm-hmm. in this country, which is mostly just something that you um, you ambiently have. And if people insult your politics, like online or on a podcast, it, it you know people get very touchy about it. Uh, and then I'd like to do one last question about this whole Chapo thing before we get into uh, music and some other stuff about that which is related to that final bit you were talking about. Do you think that there's anything... What, what's your thoughts on the idea of leftism becoming something of a fandom amongst people and the gatekeeping that has? For instance, uh, we, I'm not sure you read Capital Volume 3. Uh, <laughs> no, so I you have should not. get out now. But <laughs> I guess when I think about... Although when you, you were mentioning to me uh, about this earlier in the outside studio what, about, I guess, like you would call it fandom. I would almost call it cults of personality. Uh, where it seems it, this seems to be a common trend in leftist history, where uh, individual figures are <laughs> are idolized, uh, and it just seems to be the same trend nowadays, except with uh, less marble busts and more. Uh, you need to get on that with laser eye. Oh, I should get Twitter a, abbeys. You should get some marble busts. <laughs> yeah, I think that's interesting, and I do think that that is it's very tricky. Because you don't, I think that fandoms in general, I think you see all around that they t- tend towards toxicity no matter how benign the thing uh, that you're a fandom fan of, whether it's like Ariana Grande or- My Little uh, Pony like, is a big one. Yeah, or, that or weird, um, man. That was I don't weird know, eight years. Donald Trump. Uh, yeah, it's a fandom. Yeah. So I like, I think that is important. And we say all the time on the show that, you know, listening to our show is not doing politics. And I think one of the key things that we mean by that is like by- we, we love for you to be a fan of Chapo Trap House. That's great. It's, I was a fan first. It's a rich tapestry of weird <laughs> interflowing interests. That is a great thing to become obsessed with. But I think that what we're talking about is like being a fan of our show is not the same as, you know, being a political person. And I think the other way about it is like you have to work on not cultivating fans of things, but like a... I don't know. It doesn't have to be that hard. Like a, a good sense of moral logic in 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 your in your mind and in your heart of like what you truly believe and what does that mean for you to interact with the world. 
rather than like cons- consuming something because the fandom is usually mm-hmm. based around consumption. This might be a good transition to talking about music because we talk about this all yeah. the time on uh, uh, and introducing that it, like the weirdness of of turning something creative or artistic into a thing that is meant to be consumed as a product. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's a better that's transition a cr- than one I would have done. <laughs> uh, let's talk about and introducing, which is uh, if. I don't think they're in the lobby. I don't think they can hear. I personally like it a bit more than Chapo Trap House. Mm. Uh, Thank you. The because, few, the proud. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's talk about how did that start? Because I think it started after you had worked on Chapo, right? That is not true. Um, right. I It started because I mentioned this period of deep unemployment. I was trying to not have to do web video anymore because I had seen how terrible working for video places was in the age of Facebook, where basically the creative mandate at all the video places I were was, uh, wait for Facebook to tell us to do something and then do it. Um, so I was trying to transition to podcast, which I, as I previously mentioned, have a great passion for and think is a very cool medium. So I thought what better way to do it than to start my own podcast. So to prove that I can, and it came from me and Molly who, you know, we're dating at the time now engaged. Congratulations. Just, thank you. Uh, constantly talking with each other about like musicians stories and like what their deal was and how they got to be um, where they were and, and their, their backstories. And we we're like, we, we love, we can talk about this on our own for hours. So why don't we just do that as the podcast? Uh, and then it is also fueled by, uh, you know, it's fueled by the, the, the dual powers of me knowing how to do podcasts and Molly being able to read a musician's biography in like 18 hours. That's great. She uh, she absolutely destroys books, and that is that is the, the true secret weapon of the podcast. Uh, and so we just started doing it to kind of because we want, uh, we were just having fun uh, with each other, and kind of because I wanted a podcasting job. So my deepest apologies, but up until this point, I was not aware of the second podcast. So because you're uh, a poser, <laughs> <laughs> if I you could just like give give a brief rundown of like what it is or like what genres it covers, um, um, maybe times. <laughs> And Introducing is a mm-hmm. podcast about words, about music. And in each episode, we usually take one artist or a concept. Mm-hmm. Um, and in a, a classic episode that we've kind of format, that we've kind of branched off to do anything, we will, Molly will typically read their memoir or autobiography and then tell me about their lives. And then we talk about them and listen to songs about their, mu- uh, listen to clips of their music and just kind of talk about them, a, a musician, their lives, how they got to create the music that they create and what space in culture their music has. And we jump all over uh, musicians and genres and timeframes and everything. Basically anyone who has a book, like in our recent episodes, we've done uh, Steve Albini, uh, the cramps, Rick Ross, um, all all over the place. Mm -hmm. Yeah. uh, Other notable uh, subjects were of course, Kanye West, which was a, large episode in terms of viewership. I think. Yeah, that's our most viewed. I mean, thank you, Felix Biederman. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that came from just spending a lot of time on tour with Felix mm-hmm. and constantly talking about, you know, Kanye as a person and how kind of like fascinating his mind is. Uh, and so we had, when Kanye had a, uh, his first of his current round of, of major uh, Twitter. Dragon energy, right? Uh, breakdowns. I think this was when he first started being like, I'm a Trump yeah. guy. Um and people got very mad at him and, you know, Felix had a lot to say on it. So we, so we had him on to talk about uh, Kanye West's tweets, which are a, uh, you know, a, a fertile source. <laughs> I'm very interested in his new, uh, like, actually starting a cult thing. Yeah. I want to see how it plays out. 
I'm interested. Starting a cult. Yeah, he's like become kind of like a, that one Texas dude that Joel something. Yeah, Joel with scene. The, Yeah, like yeah. He he's his part as best I can tell. I haven't been following this too closely, but his part of his new Jesus kick is also doing a a regular traveling service that is half musical performance, half like Kanye West tent show. But critically, it is only for like ultra rich people in like Cal- like basically all the uh, the Calabasas County extended universe uh, of people to come to it. Uh, it's it's all very, per- it's like all things Kanye, it's all both very perplexing and makes complete sense. Like is, is all of a part of, of one thing. Now the Kanye episode was actually mostly focused on his tweets and I believe there's a couple episodes like that. Like the Lord episode was yes. not about a particular um, book and the Madonna one was about an article, if I remember correctly. Yeah, the, I mean, sometimes when we need to do a shorter episode or Molly just can't read an entire book in a week, uh, we do uh, an article or if there's something very interesting, like a friend of ours um, wrote a, a piece on a rising tween pop sensation, Jojo Siwa. That was just like a long yeah. feature in uh, Rolling Stone. Uh, but we thought that this, you know, tween like celebrity brand pop person was interesting enough to like talk about for, for almost a full episode. We also talked about uh, the legacy of Smash Mouth's all-star in that episode. <laughs> so relating to that, is there any musician that you would love to do an episode about, but there just isn't like a, a set of tweets or a book about? Um, you know, I always talk about how much I love Devo. They're one of my favorite bands, mm-hmm. but they just don't have like a definitive history of them written or, I mean, there are like, I could find some articles yeah. about them, but there's, there's nothing like the definitive Devo piece to, to talk about. I mean, they're, they're my ultimate favorites. I think strong contender for a, a greatest American band. Uh, but I, I, I just haven't, I haven't looked that hard, but I just haven't found like the, the right material to review them with. This, this is a weirdly decent transition into another topic about it. Actually, I do have one more question. Have you uh, guys done any episodes on composers? That's a good question, and actually that's a great idea. And no, we have not, and I will uh, add that to our list of ideas. So I'm thinking, I mean, if people have their own opinions about it, but Testaments and Dmitry Shostakovich could mm-hmm. be something. That would actually be a really good idea of to go back and and and... Do especially do something somebody from before the modern era because mm-hmm. I don't think that we've gone back further than I mean we'll, we did Louis Armstrong yeah mm-hmm. um, so yeah that that's a great idea and we will do it all right thank you you've spoken it into I existence will, I will be on the lookout for it we did it maybe we'll have an episode about temp music and music and movies sometime <laughs> that is a topic dude oof uh, but like Devo is of course I think it's considered a somewhat goth adjacent band right. Uh, I mean, I would call them straight punk new wave, but uh, I mean, I'm sure there are lots of goths who like Devo. They're kind of too silly to be gothic, but they do have a that, a dark satirical edge to them that I, I'm sure um, people who consider them goth, goths would appreciate. With that, um, of course, one of the, the big personalities in the left uh, podcast spheres, of course, uh, Jamie Peck of the Antifada sure. and Majority Port, a noted goth. And, yes, she is. Uh, a lot of the guests on introducing have typically been uh, musicians. Like you've had, um, God, oh, I'm blinking on the exact name. It was Tokyo the, Arcade. Uh, yes, um, from to- uh, from Tokyo Police Club. Yes. They were on our um, Meet Me in the Bathroom episode, which is a great 
episode. Uh, and that was featuring, uh, oh God, please don't, please forgive me for forgetting your name. Uh, Graham Wright, Graham Wright from Tokyo Police Club, uh, who got in touch with us and requested doing the book, which I could not be more flattered doing this podcast than when actual musicians reach out to me and say they, they enjoy it. Um, which has happened. I mean, I don't want to do my own homework too much, but that's happened a few times and that, that's, you know, my heart grows three sizes when I hear that. So, but, um, but, um, uh, a lot of the guests on it, with the exceptions of uh, the fellow Chapo hosts, mm-hmm. have been mostly musicians. Was it an intentional choice to have mostly magician, musicians perform? No, or? it just kind of, I mean, as the show grew, people started reaching out to us. And like our, the, the guy on our, um, our Cramps episode, uh, Casey, is just a guy from a local band, um, uh, the advertisers who got in touch with us and was like, Hey, like the show, love the cramps. You're not going to find anybody who knows more about the cramps than me. And we were like, yeah, dude, come on. Uh, but that was, so that was, uh, it's mostly, most of our guests are like people who just ask us to come on the show, <laughs> the show or little like friends of ours who we have these conversations with and thought that they would be, um, you know, fun to put on mic. Um, I'm actually incredibly lazy about booking guests for this, this show. I could probably pull in some like bigger names if I really wanted to, but honestly it's like, the nature of the show is it's just now it is something that Molly and I truly do for fun. Um, so I try not to stress out too much about it. That really dashes my hopes for a Tom here episode. <laughs> oh, I would listen to that. That would be incredible, would man. Be. I'll put it on the list. I don't know how much he's actually written though. Uh, he's, well, he's a professor of mathematics, so I assume he's written quite a bit, but I'm not sure how much about his actual music. That's, yeah. Um, I I would have him on if we wanted to, but it's just a matter of uh, setting something up. Um, and then I think let's not hold you up too much. You, of course, are having a live performance at the Englert Theater. Yes. Uh, and then final question that's actually for me and uh, Austin Wu. Mm-hmm. Which musician would you like to be the guest host on to explain about? For me, it would be the Canadian pop punk band uh, Metric mm. or Cake. Both uh, favorites. Uh, Metric and Cake are both great. I like both those bands. Uh, I'd say Sufjan Stevens, uh, without a doubt. And then after that, go back in time 15 years and interview Pete Seeger. Uh, I, would lo- I would love to talk to um, somebody with actual connections to the folk music mm-hmm. tradition because, I mean, all that stuff's great. And, I mean, I don't know. One of the things that, we, that I think about a lot and talk about on the show, and, you know, we were just listening to um, Solidarity Forever, is kind of the, the desire or need for sincere political stuff in music. It, it, there's very little, there's a lot of music that is political. I would, one might say all music is political <laughs> in some way, but you know, there's very few things that are, um, you know, directly earnestly stating political ideas in the same way that most folk tradition or union mm-hmm. songs, or even something like rage against the machine who still fucking I think Tom Morello does have a recording. No, of, you're uh, right. Some people, people don't accept it, but yeah. like it, it's genuinely very, yeah. it's sort of like people have been talking about Fred Durst this way recently, where it's like, it's not exactly said in an elegant way, but yeah, the people that are working forces do in fact burn crosses. Yeah, sometimes they do. And sometimes you got to just be a hammer. Uh, you got to rally around yeah. the family. But I, I think Tom Morello really does have a recording of Solidarity Forever with, uh, I think, the Night Watchers. He's yeah, like, I think so. with, right? Yeah, which side are you on? Yeah, old, no, he's classic. he's he's big into that like straightforwardly political music. Anyway, people need to people need to bring that back. So somebody who is a, a better musician than myself. 
All right. Uh, is there anything left that you'd like to just bring up, or should we start doing our Twitter uh, handles? Uh, we can move uh, straight in plugs. I know I can't plug anything directly, but uh, there you is can a podcast. Say that there is something, but you're not allowed to say that you should do something. Uh, just one more time. I have a podcast called And Introducing, a podcast about words, about music. And if you like thinking about musicians and their place in culture and society, uh, give it a listen. We, it's not, we also have fun on it. They're jokes and stuff. Uh, yeah, I'd say that it's a great podcast. I've listened to it uh, religiously, except recently, because I've been actually catching up on uh, Star Trek, because of Picard. Ah, Star Trek's a cultural blind spot for me. I've, <laughs> I've not really uh, uh, consumed any of that. It's like it's anything that's that long. There's a lot of misses, but a lot of hits too. Yeah, like statistically, you're gonna get it right if you do. Look, if you get, if you do, yeah, seven hundred episodes with that many. If you can get it over fifty fifty, the good, the bad, <laughs> then you're doing. That's a lot of good, good stuff. Uh, so I've been uh, Darian Lance, uh, operations director and interviewer. My Twitter handle is at Wen's Arm Core Six because <laughs> I'm a huge nerd for Mecca. Woo. Uh, hi, this is Austin Wu. Um, I don't think I have any fancy titles that I should be flexing here right now. Mm. Um, I'm on Twitter at the Austin Wu, and I also run an uh, Instagram account called History of CR, where I chronicle the history of our town to the north and my own hometown. So uh, it's history underscore of underscore CR, and it's uh, photographs of what used to be until parking garage has replaced them. <laughs> that sounds great. I would I will follow that. Thank you. I'm Chris Wade at Say What Again on Twitter. Uh, say, yell, come yell at me online. Uh, let's see. Final thoughts. Uh, Solidarity Forever. Uh, caucus on February 3rd. Uh, if people ask you why they should vote for uh, Sanders despite Bernie bros saying that they won't vote for anybody else, tell them we're holding the party hostage. Any other big things that we need to mention? Uh, doors open at 545. That's true. There's something called the Angler, I've been told. <laughs> no, I mean for the caucus. Oh. <laughs> Close uh, at 7. Well, yeah, doors for that uh, don't open until later. I do have to get going. Get All right. going, guys. Okay. It's been great. It's uh, been great. Thanks, guys. See you around. And this has been KRUI 89.7, Iowa City, the sound alternative. Your ranting